You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week three, covering Deuteronomy 4:44 through 7:26. So my name's Corey Mitchell, and I know the first question is, what is a guy doing at Women's Bible Fellowship? So interestingly, this is not my first time at WBF. It's not even my second time, it's actually my fourth time uh, at WBF, but it has been uh, a good number of years since I've been here. So, uh, Corey Mitchell, I've been at LEFC, just realized this and I was planning what I was going to share. I've been at LEFC for half my life, 27 of my 54 years, served in various capacities here, but uh, I, I always say my most important role is as a Bible teacher, and to be a Bible teacher means, first and foremost, you need to be a Bible student. Uh, so I'm, I'm thankful be, to be the guy in the room here and that you've invited me to join your time of study. Really two reasons. One, I've been studying the book of Deuteronomy for 20 years and have been teaching the series that I teach on it, three-month series, for 16 years. Uh, so I'm just excited to get to kind of join you in that time of study. And then secondly, is just it's an opportunity for me to affirm uh, just what you do here. Like the, qual- the, the quality of the study, the diligence of the study, the excellence and everything you're doing with the materials. My, daughter, uh, my daughter's in the evening group, and she, the first night of Deuteron- the Deuteronomy two weeks ago, she called me on the way home uh, after the night had finished, and she said, Dad, this, this workbook is beautiful. That was her comment. Uh, and to me, it's just a sign, again, of the the excellence that you're doing, everything that you're doing here. So that is tremendous. All right, let's get into the text. So go ahead, if you're not already there, open up to chapter 5, Deuteronomy 5, uh, and we'll get going there. So uh, I want to start with to, by reiterating two things that Christy said last week uh, in her, uh, in her uh, teaching. Uh, and the first one is this, that the, the the Deuteronomy and the scriptures as a whole are rooted in history, right? Part of the, part of the you know, blessing uh, and affirmation is how rooted they are. So just going back a little bit to the end of chapter 4, one simple example of that is this little section on the cities of refuge. Uh, it's verses 41 to 43 at the end of chapter 4. And it mentions the, them setting up the three cities of refuge uh, to the east of the Jordan. And the, it's verse 43, Betzer, Ramath, and Golan. And just to help affirm, you know, our trust in the scriptures, those three cities are still there. Uh, Betzer, we would know it as Bozra. Uh, Ramath is Al-Ramtha. And Golan is still, if you're familiar with Israel and the events in Israel, still the Golan Heights. Uh, so again, rooted in history. The second thing I want to uh, repeat that she talked about last week is just the idea of, of covenant. And I, I want to read verse chapter 5, verse 2, but I want to go back to some verses that Christy highlighted last week. So verse 2, chapter 5 says, the Lord, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Now, that's interesting just because, right, this is the second generation, Deut- Deuteronomy, second law. It's not a second law, right? Second telling of the law. So that's interesting because, you know, it was their parents who really were, you know, present there at Horeb. They may have been there as children, of course. 
but it, it shows that multi-generational aspect of the covenant, even in just that one statement. So the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. And how would I describe what is that covenant, that first covenant, that Mosaic covenant, old covenant, whatever phrase you'd want to use, how would I describe what that is, this, this contractual relationship, if you will, between the people and their God? And my go-to passage is one that Christy highlighted last week. That's chapter 4, verses 39 and 40. So I want to read those again. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. I really like those verses to explain the covenant because they're so succinct. And if, if you hold me as your God, only me, and you dedicate yourself to me and you, you keep my commandments, then it'll go well and I'll bless you and I'll be with you and so forth. Like that, that's the fundamental agreement. Now, there is a problem, of course, with the covenant, and that is us, the people, right? We're, we're the problem with the, with the agreement. That's why there is a new covenant. But there's, I want to call out one phrase in there, so that it may go well with you. This phrase, years ago, and in, 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 again, as I'm studying and I'm thinking about this and seeking to understand and so forth, what jumped out to me about that, so that it may go well with you, because it's repeated multiple times, you're going to keep seeing that phrase. And what struck me is, yes, it is true that God can kind of supernaturally, if you will, like, like he can intervene and he can pour blessings upon us, right? Step into our lives, step into a moment and just supernaturally bless or change the circumstance and do that. And he does do that. But what struck me is I think there's really a very natural aspect to this. If you do these things, the way the creator of the universe has designed the world to work, if uh, your, our relationship with our neighbor and uh, with one another and authorities and so on, and him, of course, so on and so forth, if we do those things in the natural order of things, it will go well with us. And I think hopefully you'll see that as, we go, as uh, you go through the, the broader series. All right, so covenant language. Well, chapter 5 has similar kind of that covenant language. Uh, so let me just point out a couple verses. Verse 29. Uh, verse 29 says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always. And here's this phrase again. So that it might go well with them and their children forever. The fear of the Lord is behind us. And, I, you know, that, that reverent awe, that type of fear, right? Not, not a fear that's a... Uh, a fear that we're typically thinking about. Uh, oh, that they would have a reverent awe. Oh, that you would have a reverent awe of me always, and it will go well with you. And then the very last two verses of the chapter. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Different flavor to the same idea. It will go well with you. So when we think again about this covenant, I just encourage this idea, trying to remove the idea of a wooden obedience to these very arcane laws, right? That might be how we've had this impression, and I want to I encourage you, don't think of it that way. It's this idea. We are going to bind ourselves together. You be bound to me and only me, very much what we say at the marriage ceremony in that covenant. Only you till death right? Only you and then only you, right? That's what we commit to. Think of it in a very similar way. 
All right, so the rest of the chapter, of course, chapter, oh, one other verse I want to point out is 527. Uh, so Moses, uh, of course, is the one who went up on the mountain and he received the, the words of the law and the tablets. Uh, and it says here, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. That's what the people said to Moses. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you. Everything they said was good. Moses is the intercessor, right? He is the mediator of a new covenant. This is a new covenant. And Moses is that mediator, foreshadowing, of course, Jesus as the, the mediator of a new covenant that's going to come later. So the rest of the chapter, of course, is the Ten Commandments. You have one year in the workbook, the, uh, this, uh, what is it, page 16. Uh, so let's just click through those here uh, on the slide. Oh, I forgot this part of it. The book itself, the covenant, the, the book itself of Deuteronomy is structured like an ancient covenant. So I'm not going to go through this in detail. You can quickly take a picture of it before we move on if you want it. Uh, but the book itself, this really struck me years ago. I had come across this in some studying. It's laid out, the chapters, the structure of it. It's like a contractual type of document, even to the point of when we get to 29 and 30 uh, and that there's a witness, right? Almost think of it like a signature, uh, bearing witness to the covenant. In fact... Chapter 5 makes the point there are two tablets. It says it in chapter 4, 13. Two tablets. Why are there two tablets? Now, you know, cl the classic thing you'll see is uh, because it was a little too small a space to write them all in one, right? So it's 1 to 5 and 6 to 10. Or, and I'm going to suggest to you that's not the idea of why there's two tablets. There's two tablets because they're two copies, Right? There's two copies of it. It's an agreement that's made, and those two copies are going to go into the Ark of the Covenant to bear witness to this agreement that was made. All right. So what are the Ten Commandments? Oh, I forgot this as well. I should really look at my own slides, right? So I, I think very mathematically. It's how I process stuff. I think when I see numbers, I think of the relationship with numbers, and I don't know if that's how you are or not. This is one thing about being in a room of ladies. Maybe I, my brain is different than yours. So, but this is how I think. So these are two equations. 20 divided by two equals 10, and five plus five equals 10. Now in a classroom, I would say, okay, tell me what that has to do with the 10 commandments, but maybe I'll just keep moving on. So this is how I remember where the 10 commandments are in the Bible. They're in two places. They're in the 20th chapter of the second book, Exodus 20, and the fifth chapter of the fifth book, Deuteronomy 5. So if you're a math person like me, you're welcome. There you go. There's a nice, easy way to remember where they are. All right. So, all right. I am the Lord. And I put in here, instead of all caps, Lord, I put in the, the, the four letters of the name of God just to make that point, right? It's, it's, it's not just a generic title. It's supposed to be him, who he is. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make, your, make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. So there they are, my kind of succinct way of saying it. Obviously, it's longer in the text. But if you're filling out your chart there, that's what I use 
uh, and you can fill them out in that way. Now, the, the Ten Commandments themselves, they're not the covenant. They are a part of the covenant, right? Part of this old idea of the, the overall agreement, the contract uh, you know, between God and his people, uh, this binding together is the Ten Commandments, right? But it's, I wouldn't say, they summarize it, if you will, but they don't solely represent it. I just wanted to make that point. Now, the question for this morning, to me the most important question for this morning is, but what is the greatest commandment? Okay, these are the Ten Commandments. What's the greatest commandment? And if you know the scriptures, or you probably uh, touched on it at the table uh, if you went through the workbook, uh, this question gets answered in the Gospels. Two different places this question comes up. What is the greatest commandment? Now, uh, that question didn't arise in a vacuum. This was an actual question of the day. What is the greatest commandment? So I'm going to read a little snippet from this book. Uh, it's called The Spreading Flame by F.F. Bruce. really impacted me years ago when I got it. And so this is going to talk about two, two great rabbis of the day. These rabbis were, the, were great rabbis, the generation before Jesus. Before Jesus, these were two really influential rabbis. Uh, named Hillel and Shammai. If you've watched The Chosen, it mentions Shammai in The Chosen. Uh, so here we go. The two chief rabbinical schools of the day, we have said, were those of Hillel and Shammai. Many stories were related to illustrate the differing viewpoints of these two great rabbis. The most famous is the story of the would-be proselyte who went to Shammai and invited him to summarize the whole law while the inquirer stood on one leg, right? So the idea here is very succinctly, I'm gonna stand on one leg and you tell me the whole thing. All right, that's the request. The severe Shammai drove the man away indignantly, right? Like this is absurd, the idea that you could learn the whole law, uh, right? So he drove him away indignantly. Another, another version of this I read says that he beat him off with a stick. But when he approached the milder Hillel with the same request, he received the answer, what is hateful to yourself, do not to your neighbor. Now that might sound a little familiar, right? The golden rule, it's just a little kind of the, revert, the negative version, if you will, of the golden rule. What is hateful to yourself, do not to your neighbor. That is the whole law. Everything else is a commentary on that. Go and learn it. So that was Hillel's response. And of course, if you know the if you know the, you know, what the gospels say uh, in response to the same question, what's the greatest commandment? It's similar. It's a similar idea. Jesus does summarize uh, the, the, all of the law in this more summary, uh, you know, through a single verse, if you will. So I'm going to go, and you don't have to turn if you don't want. I'm going to read these two. So Mark 12. So that one says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So that's the one example. Interesting because he does quote the Shema 6.4. He includes it in his response, what I said there, uh, Hebrew. Uh, it's also interesting because of the interaction with the man. This, I think, is not somebody trying to catch Jesus in his words, in his answer, but genuinely seeking to understand. So then the parallel, uh, in this case, maybe not parallel, but just a regular question that could have been asked multiple times uh, is in Matthew 22. Uh, So I'm going to read this one, and then I'll, I'll riff off his answer here a little bit. 22, this is 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And it's that last thing he says that I want to want to pick up on. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, my next slide here, you, the workbook is very helpful because you have it vertically. My slide is going to be horizontal. Again, in the workbook, it's helpful because they're vertical, right? It's literally hanging. And that's how I think about this. The first four commandments hang on the greatest commandment. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And here you have these first four. And then the second group, uh, five through six, what's it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And you have these latter six commandments of the ten. So here's the point. Now, here we're just talking about the ten, but you're going to get into all kinds of really fascinating texts, you know, later in the book of Deuteronomy. And this is my simple premise. If, you, if we do not understand the greatest commandment and the one that's like it, we're never going to understand the rest. We're not going to get them. It's going to be an exercise in legalism. But if we do understand the greatest commandment and the one that is like it, we can understand the rest. If we understand they all hang on these two uh, commandments, then we can apply that and we can seek to understand even the most strange commandment, right, through that lens. That's the idea. And that's what I love about his response. So, love your neighbors yourself, that comes from Leviticus 19.18. Jesus is quoting two texts here uh, in his response. Love your neighbors yourself, Leviticus 19.18. So, where is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, it's not one of the Ten Commandments, right? But it's the next chapter, chapter 6. Right here. Uh, So chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 are what he quoted uh, in the Mark response. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now let's see here. I was going to have us say the Shema together, but I think for the sake of time, I might run short on time, but maybe not. Maybe we'll try it. 
because it would just be awesome to hear it. You can practice some Hebrew. All right, it's coming. There we go. All right, so let's do this. So uh, let me say it in Hebrew. I want you all to say it with me then in Hebrew. Let me say it first, okay? And then we'll say the English as well. Shema, don't, not yet. So, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai, and it's not Echad, it's Echad. It's like that guttural sound. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So let's do that together, right? You ready? You up to it? All right. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Awesome. If you know one bit of Hebrew, that is a good one to know right there. All right, excellent. So um, chapter six, looking at chapter six, uh, verse, back to the beginning of the chapter. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And here's a key. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Down verse seven, impress them. These are the commands I give you today or to be on your heart. Impress them on your children, and back up in verse two, right? On your grandchildren, right? On your children and their children after them. Impress them on them. Talk about them when you rise and walk along the road and saturate their lives with these things, right? Like whatever you're doing and wherever you're going and just through your day, just saturate these things in the lives of your children. Put them on your door pet, on your doorposts and you know, write them on your hands. Just Saturate their lives. And when they're little kids, right, that, that'll have an impact on them. But for me, the most important part of this chapter, as wonderful as those, that opening section is, is verse 20. Because as a parent, this is what we long for, right? Satura, saturate their lives when they're children with these things. But what I want is verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you. Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This is what I long for, right? Saturate their lives, right? Memory verses, all this stuff, just, it's amazing. I did not grow up in a church family. I like tangents, so we might go a little long, forgive me. So I didn't grow up in a church family. I came to Christ through a Penn State uh, friendship when I was 24 years old. So I graduated and maintained our friendship and came to Christ a couple years later. But my grandmother would take us to a church uh, in Strasburg uh, occasionally with her. And it's so strange. When I became a believer years later, tucked somewhere in my head were these verses. These, you know, John 3, 16. They were tucked. And I know that they didn't come from my own study because they were KJV versions. It's like, where did that come from? Like, how is that in there? Uh, and that's just amazing. I really would attribute it back to that as a little kid and going, right? Saturate their lives. But what we want is for them to want to understand when they get older. Now, what does this mean? I want to understand this, right? And I think the idea is if you do this, the early part, 
you do these things, when they get to that later age, right, when they get to you know, teens and adulthood and so forth, they're so much more likely to want to understand it, right? There is no guarantee. There's a great principle. Start your child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Now, that is not a guarantee, right? If you take it as a guarantee, you could be really disappointed. You could question so much about yourself, but it's a principle. Um, and that's what we long for. We long for the day when they will say, I want to get it. I want to understand. That's what every dad wants to hear. You know, you want your kid to want to understand, like, you know, not just the scriptures, but any rule that you give them, uh, you, want them to, you want them to get to understand it and seek to understand it. Uh, and in one other part of verse of chapter 6 that I point out, great, is chapters 10 and 12. God's going to bring them into this great land. He's going to bring them in. He's going to give them houses. And there's a warning in here. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Because of God's love for his people, he, like, like a father or a mother who delights in giving good gifts to their children, right? He gives good gifts to his children. Ah, but there's a danger here, right? The most dangerous part of the life of the believer is not when we have little, but when we have much, right? That's the most dangerous thing. That's when our hearts can go astray. Uh, and, I, and so this is a great warning for us. Uh, practicing a life of thankfulness, whether in, in little or in much, right? Just developing that in our lives. And in chapter 7, does a great job of kind of bringing this together for us. The covenant, understanding God's heart, what is the greatest commandment? Um, so verse, let me pick it up in verse six. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Later on, I think it's chapter nine, he says, he didn't set his affection, he didn't choose you because you're more righteous, more holy, right? Because, you know, you're stubborn. And he set his affection on his people. He calls them his treasured possession, just powerful understanding for us. He sets his affection uh, upon us. We have become part of this. Uh, we have become part of his covenant people, and to understand we are his treasured possession, and he has set his affection upon us. Verse 13, I'm going to jump there, and then I'll come back to uh, a couple verses earlier. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your wombs, womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and olive oil, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. Again, I think there's a danger in thinking like this. If anything bad happens to me, is that a sign that God's upset with me? You know, it's, it's, that's too wooden of an understanding, but a broad principle, right? He's a good father. He set his affection on us. He loves us. 
and he delights in giving us good things, like a loving father or loving mother do, uh, does. Now, I want to close here back a few verses. Uh, verse, verse 9, and I want to read down to 12. And it's uh, the same phrase appears twice uh, in 9 and 12. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is good. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will pay, repay, to, repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. So this phrase, covenant of love, uh, twice in there, this struck me years ago. And one of the things that struck, where it first struck me, see if I can get to my last couple slides here. All right, that's a little small, but it doesn't matter because uh, I just want to make the point. That phrase, covenant of love, doesn't just appear here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Solomon, 2 Chronicles 6, uses the same phrase, covenant of love. And then two others for you. Nehemiah, twice in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 9, uses the phrase, covenant of love. And then Daniel. And Daniel's the one that struck me. Uh, uses the same phrase, covenant of love. So I was reading, reading through Daniel studying at the time, and I hit this text, and I saw Daniel describes this as a covenant of love. And then I kind of went back and I found the other passages and so forth, but that struck me. Like, in, in this journey in my life of wanting to understand Deuteronomy and understand a proper understanding of the law of God, it struck me that they see this not in a harsh way. They don't see this as harsh. They see it as a covenant of love. Why is it that I don't get that? This is back when, right? Like, that's not, that's, not, that's not how I have kind of understood it. And this was all part of this early year journey for me of, all right, I think there's something I don't understand, and I really want to get this. And my prayer to God at the time was, show me your heart in your law. Help me to see this as they see it, as a covenant of love. Help me to look into these things, and wow, this is so strange, some of these and see your love, right, in your commandments, uh, to see that, and your character to shine through in your law. All right, let's pray. Father, do thank you. Thank you that we, here we are, I, uh, probably mostly Gentiles, I don't know the room, but uh, Gentiles speaking English, other side of the earth, 2,000 years later, you know, 3,500 years perhaps removed from Moses, and how is it that we have these things open before us and we are looking into these things? That is just amazing. Your plan through the ages, you are indeed the God of history, that we who were once far have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. We have become part of your covenant people through Jesus. And we, I'm in awe of that. We stand in awe of your plan. We were not forgotten. We are your treasured possession through Jesus. You have set your affection upon us. And so we stand at your feet like little children before a father and a mother seeking to understand. Help me to understand what is the meaning of this. Lord, I pray indeed that you would show us your heart and your law. That you would grant us understanding uh, through the study of the book of Deuteronomy. That in fellowship and in reading through it together that you would 
enlighten us. You would inform us. You would transform us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.